Hello, everyone. Happy New Year. Dave Miller, Fidelity National Home Warranty. On behalf of Crest E&O Insurance, uh, we welcome you to this uh, seminar with our wonderful Catherine Holbert, uh, our attorney in Nevada, to uh, give us a quick update on what's going on. Catherine, welcome. Good morning. How are you doing today? Fantastic. It's a new year, and with a new year comes a lot of uh, refocusing uh, on, on strategies and maybe E&O claims and what's going on, and that's why I thought be a great time to to get you on the the Zoom here, so we could educate the Crest insureds and also our Crest Advantage Home Warranty clients uh, of some things that are going on. So uh, I'll start firing away if you're ready. Yes, please. Talk to us about you know E and O claims. Uh, depending on the market, they tend to go up and down. Um, we're in a market now where obviously the historic low and in inventories, fewer transactions. How has that affected your day to day? Are you seeing more claims in this market or is it less or is it about the same? Um, it's a different market, of course. And actually here in Nevada, we are seeing an increase in inventory at certain price point levels um, and a decrease in other price point levels. There, there is absolutely still a market. There's still buyers. There are still sellers. Um, it is actually even picked up quite a bit just since the first of the year, especially with sellers listing homes. Um, some of the inventory has been sitting for quite a while. So it is an interesting market, um, but, but the market is always changing. And that impacts the kind of E&O claims that I see through both the risk management program and litigation. And yet it doesn't, because in the almost 20 years that I've been doing this, 90% of my cases have always been non-disclosure cases, regardless of what kind of the market was. Um, the cases that um, become litigated are generally non-disclosure cases that deal with the SRPD and the condition of the property, you know, at the time of close of escrow. Right. So are you, um, obviously the Crest insureds have access to the Crest Risk Management Hotline. They can call and, and you're going to be fielding a lot of those calls for them if they have uh, something that they want to run by you. Are you seeing more calls now or, or maybe more people using risk management to help things go away? Or, uh, or is your I do. I am seeing an, an uptake in that. Okay. Um, one of the things, though, that, that I am most proud of in the, the very long time I've been doing the risk management, what I definitely see is repeat callers. Um, like once somebody calls in and it becomes aware of the risk management program and gets their problem solved through the risk management pro program, they're so much more likely to reach out again. Um, and that, of course, is the purpose of getting of the risk management program. I like to say our number one goal is closing the transaction. Um, our second goal, if that is simply not possible, is at least getting agreed upon cancellation instructions. So even if nobody's happy, they're all agreeing to walk away. Um, and that's how you prevent litigation. Um, and so, and really the, the risk management program is my only opportunity to do that. And I get calls on, you know, property management. I get calls on, I need help with this addendum. I get calls on um, this. I have this issue on the SRPD. What should I do? Um, a very large part of what I do through the risk management ENO program is counsel people and guide people on not only the legal issues involved, but communication how you speak to your client, how you speak to the other side, um, and how you do that effectively. Because you know, my, my cases are disclosure cases, non-disclosure cases, 
but at the bottom, at the end of the day, they're almost always misunderstanding cases, you know, and the seller says, you never told me. And the buyer says, well, I did, but this is how I said it. Um, and then, then maybe the agents didn't understand and proper communication is what prevents lawsuits. Well, I tell you, this has got to be music to, to Cress's ears <laughs> because this is exactly why they set up the hotline so that uh, people could could call in and, and navigate through some some troubles that maybe they're not used to seeing before it becomes a lawsuit. So that's uh, that's fantastic. I'm glad you're uh, being kept busy. Yes. <laughs> so speaking of busy, I mean, it's been all over the news, this NAR lawsuit, everybody's up in arms. But as the more I hear about it, it's not really that big of a deal. But but tell us uh, what your thoughts are there. Uh, the, the NAR lawsuit is very interesting. And that. Um, uh, you know, is a billion dollar lawsuit that essentially comes down to misunderstandings. <laughs> um, the, the key word in that lawsuit was collusion. And that is what the plaintiffs kept hammering is um, the, the agents and the association were colluding to keep um, uh, the commissions high at a 6%, you know, whether that's high or not totally depends on who you are. Um, but the, 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 there was not effective communication between the agents and the buyers and the sellers as to who was paying this commission. And of course, the buyer, the sellers were saying, I did not know I was paying both sides of the commission. And you were colluding and, and keeping that information from me. And that's why the jury came back the way they did. Uh, and the other big thing about the success of that NAR lawsuit is the plaintiffs were coming at it, you know, from the perspective and telling the jury, everybody should pay their own commission, <laughs> which is true, you know, and it, it is kind of a basic tenant. Um, and frequently, usually is what happens on the commercial side, honestly. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of problems of why that isn't feasible on the residential side, especially the lower end residential side, um, when individual home buyers are struggling to come up with the down payment on an FHA loan, and they just simply cannot possibly pay the commission on top of everything else. Um, and I won't get into what I think some of the solutions to the overall big problem are. Um, it will be years before there's any final decision on that lawsuit. Um, there is still a pending before the trial court on directed verdicts and, and remitters and, and all kinds of stuff like that. Once all of those motions are resolved, it's going to be appealed by one side or the other. Um, and it may even work its way up eventually to the Supreme Court. But that, again, will be years. So as far as any laws that come out of that or, or any real hard case law, it, it's going to be years. Um, but what I am telling people now, what that means to you is talk to your clients, whether you're representing the buyer or the seller, you need to talk to your clients um, about how you're getting paid, who's paying you, what you expect to be paid. And, you know, people are scared to have these conversations. And yet it is a perfect opportunity to inform them of the value that you're providing them. Um, you know, if you think you're entitled to a 3% commission, explain to them why <laughs> and explain to them what they're getting out of that um, and what you can provide to them as a real estate professional that they can't do themselves or they can't get somewhere else on their own. So is it your advice to have something in writing? Is there a form that now is going to be coming out that says, 
I'm the seller's agent, or I'm the buyer's agent, I'm going to get paid X amount. Is it a percentage or is it the dollar amount? You know, buyer broker agreements have always existed. Um, and there are some agents and brokers who always use them routinely. There's others that just flat out will not use them. Um, there are forms um, available through the associations. Um, some of them are better than others and none of them are mandated. And, and I have been encouraging people to, to dust those off, look at those, um, analyze them. If they, if the form doesn't really fit what you want to do, what, what do you want to do? Um, you know, you can make a, a very short term buyer broker agreement. If you want, you can limit it to a specific property. Um, there's a lot of things you can do as you're discussing that with your clients. Um, and, and I've been seeing them put in, you know, I want, um, because I, I've actually been being told by brokers recently that they are seeing sellers list property just wanting to share a half a percent um, or 2% or 1% or something like that. So I think that that sellers and sellers agents are kind of testing that out and trying to push those boundaries. So I've seen brokers recently do buyer brokers agreement that say, I want two and a half percent. Um, whatever I can get from the other side, <laughs> great. I'll let you know what I get from the other side. But if if I don't get my full two and a half percent from the other side, I expect it to come from you. Um, and, and that is, you know, a very clear way to communicate that. Um, and, and it's perfectly appropriate. And of course, it's 100% negotiable. And, um, you know, if the, the buyer, whatever agreement is reached, that's fine. But But it's important that it be presented as, you know, uh, you know, and discussed as an agreement, not like this is what you have to pay me sign here. Those are the conversations that that resulted in the NAR lawsuit. Right. And I think you made a great point a couple of minutes ago about how the interest rates have affected people saying, hey, it's already tight in this transaction for money. Now I'm paying this side and that side. So, I mean, is this really considered like a consumer protection law? Was this brought up because of higher rates and people crying foul? Why was it brought up now and not 10 years ago? Um, uh, the, the value in an our lawsuit was that it was a class action. You know, I'll, I'll be blunt and honest. <laughs> you know, it, nobody would have filed that lawsuit on behalf of one seller. Um, you know, so pulling all of the sellers together and some attorney was like, hey, I think I can build a class action out of this. And they did and they did it successfully. Um, none of the issues in the NAR lawsuit are new issues. None of them were caused by the current market. Um, you know, a 6% has been routine transit, you know, broker commission for, for a very long time. Um, and so it, it, it wasn't any of that, that that is the why now for the NAR lawsuit. It was just simply, you know, a, a smart attorney figured out I can make a class action out of this. <laughs> right. You know, we talked before about uh, dual agency. When Should a seller assist the unrepresented buyer in a transaction? Talk about some of the pitfalls of that. Uh, Nevada does allow dual representation. Um, all, every transaction, you've got to have the duties owed signed in Nevada. In addition, there's the consent to act form saying, you know, you can act for both parties or you can only act for me. So you've got to get both forms signed. And, and my concern is when a, an unrepresented buyer approaches a seller's agent and says, hey, I don't, I can't pay my own commission. I want to just 
you know, do it myself, um, that the agent has got to be very clear on what their role is, mm -hmm. not only with the buyer and the seller, but with themselves. <laughs> and they cannot say, I'll just help you out, but I won't represent you. If you're going to assist them, if an agent is going to assist the buyer in any way, they are representing them under the law. Um, and they need the right form signed and they need to do it correctly. And they can do it correctly. Now, if the seller is only paying 3% and isn't going to pay you to represent the buyer, I don't recommend that you do that. <laughs> um, but you, you, you are allowed to do that in Nevada. But, but what is going to get agents in trouble is if they do that part way and pretend that they're not really representing the other side that is going to get them involved in a lawsuit and in trouble with the NRED. Now we've talked about it before, and this is a rhetorical question, but would you agree that dual agent transactions are just a nightmare with claims? You know, yes, they are bad. <laughs> I know it sounds great to get both sides, but how do you convince a jury that you have a fiduciary duty to this side and that side at the same time? Expand yeah, you, you cannot really effectively represent both parties that, that, that inherently have competing interests, right. <laughs> you know. <laughs> and just what you hear too, right? I, I will take this much for the house, but how do you relate that to the other side? It's, right. Uh, you know, I think you've always recommended uh, the Crest Insurance to have another agent in the office representing right. the side. At just least so that do that. If, 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 if the brokerage is going to do both sides, at least have different agents represent the buyer and the seller. Oh, great advice. I've always asked you about the, the and, and it's crazy that there are six different associations in Nevada. You know, you have different tort and different laws down in Southern Nevada, different in the, the, the Northern Nevada, Reno region, but there's different forms, different associations. What should Nevada uh, Crest Insurance know about maybe if they're in Vegas selling a home in Reno or Reno and, 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 and other places? Can you expand on that? Yes. You, the, the primary difference is the different forms um, because the, the majority of the forms, there's only like three forms, the duties owed, the consent to act in the SRPD in Nevada are the only forms that are done by the Nevada Real Estate Division um, you know, on the state level. All the rest of the forms are done um, by the individual associations. Um, and there are multiple ones and, you know, paying dues to all of them, you know, is a major complaint of the people that work in the whole state. Um, and the forms are quite different. Um, you know, there's some things I like better about the Southern Purchase Agreement. There's some things I like better about the Northern. And I say Northern and Southern because Although there's a lot of little small ones, the major ones are the Northern in Reno and the Southern one in Las Vegas. Right. Um, and there has been talk for years and years and years about a statewide um, purchase agreement or statewide forms. And there has been some limited action on that. I don't know that it will ever happen because the, the cooperation at the high levels that it's going to take to make that happen um, just is unlikely to occur. <laughs> so if an but, agent's selling a house outside of their association, would there be a, a risk in a lawsuit by not including that association's form? 
Um, the bigger the risk of the lawsuit is not just the fact that you use that form, but you use a form you're not familiar with and you don't know what you're doing. Gotcha. <laughs> and even even if, if you're in southern Utah and you're going to the northern Nevada market, even though you're very comfortable and familiar with the southern Nevada forms and you say, hey, I like this form better. I want to use this form. Nobody up north is familiar with that form. And so you're going to have problems with them with misunderstandings again, because they're using a form that you're not familiar with or you're using a form that you're not familiar with. And so if you're going to practice in another um, geographical area that uses different forms, just make sure you're very familiar with them. And if you're not, call risk management. <laughs> That's great advice. It's always blown me away, the, the different associations there. So hopefully they all come together uh, in the future, but uh, that's that's good to know. Let's talk about a uh, home warranty real quick. Obviously we're with Fidelity National Home Warranty. We always promote that 95% of lawsuits are buyers suing sellers. And a home warranty plan is that one product that actually stays with the buyers after the close of escrow. And can you just talk to how, and we preach this too, how a home warranty is a risk management tool in a transaction and how keeping the happy the buyers happier after the close of escrow could maybe limit a lawsuit. Absolutely. Um, you know, like I kind of started this, this seminar, 90%, 95% of my cases have always been over the SRPD and non-disclosure issues, um, which of course relate to the condition of the home. Um, essentially what those lawsuits are is the home had this problem, this defect, whatever it may be, at the time I closed escrow and I didn't know that it had this problem. Um, well, if it's a problem that the home warranty will fix, problem solved. <laughs> you right. know, if, if the if they have if there's a home warranty and they call that home warranty and the home warranty comes and takes care of the problem, there's no lawsuit. Um, um, if it's if it's a bigger problem or or there's issues with the with the home warranty claim, of course, then it could go forward. But even in that instance, the home warranty is very valuable to have because it could possibly reduce your retention due under a claim or something like that. Um, and so it is just, you know, best standard practice to always have a home warranty on every transaction. Um, you know, and the seller paying for that for the buyer, you know, is, is always a, a show of good faith. <laughs> well, and sometimes even an agent will throw it on exactly. as a closing gift because they want to make sure that, uh, you know, it lessens the chance of a lawsuit. Right. And, and in some instances, the, the agent needs to pay that in order to get the reduction in their deductible. So everybody needs to be aware of that and make sure they understand what their policy requirements are, um, because sometimes they have to pay that in order to right. get the benefit. Well, any questions on the home warranty side? Of course, we have three fantastic uh, sales executives there in northern Nevada. We have Katie Morales. And in the Vegas Henderson area, we have uh, Ken Schilke and, and Terry Estrada. And, and of course, I can be reached at any time for that. So, uh, Catherine, I know you're uh, busy. So one last question, if we may. Um, you receive a lot of risk management calls uh, day to day, month to month on uh, you talk about some of the calls that you're getting. If you could categorize a few, what, what are your top two that you're getting? Is it uh, property management? Is it forms? Is it just general disclosure? Well, I get a lot of a lot of property management questions, questions regarding, um, you know, just you know, security deposit, transmittals, just general terms of the lease. This is what they're doing. Is this a violation? You know, how do I handle this problematic tenant or this problematic landlord? Um, you know, there's there's always a lot of the property management questions. The other just broad category is 
how do I close this transaction? <laughs> um, and like, this is my, yeah, well, this is my, you know, and it, and it's so crazy. The problems that I hear that like have come up in a transaction. Um, and, um, you know, they just say this, this particular issue is what has arisen in this transaction. How do we navigate this? And what are the documents that we need? Um, you know, how do we, you know, reach a resolution on this? Um, and, and a lot of those are, related to disclosure issues, some hmm. kind of condition of the property that came up during an inspection or something like that. And, you know, maybe they're trying to do, um, uh, you know, a credit in lieu of repair, or they're making repairs, but they can't be done till after close of escrow, or all of those kinds of things. Um, but those are the kind of things, those are exactly the kind of things that if they're not properly handled before close of escrow, cause a lawsuit after the close of escrow. Um, so particularly if you've got a disclosure issue that's causing a hiccup in your transaction, reach out. Um, let's get that. Let's make sure we get that completely taken care of before escrow closes. Are you drafting a lot of releases? I know in, in years past, you've always said that if the agent's being asked for a concession of a dollar amount, you will sometimes tell them, go ahead and, and concede that that thousand dollars because this could become a two or three thousand uh, dollar claim later. Are you drafting something that says, hey, for this thousand, we're done? It's really important, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. I tell, I tell, you know, before and after, you know, um, if a claim arises, um, once somebody has made a demand and said, I, I have this complaint against you, I want you to pay X number of dollars. You, 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 what you are doing at that point in time is buying a release. <laughs> so you do not pay them unless you get your release. <laughs> and, and if, if you need help drafting it, you know, that of course is something that I can usually do through the risk management program. Um, but you don't pay anybody any money ever just as a general rule in life, <laughs> you know, unless you get that release. <laughs> well, absolutely. Because if you give them a thousand dollars now, six months later, they decide, you know, that wasn't enough. The right. repair was actually X and now we want a little bit more and then they, they probably get more, don't they? Exactly. And, <laughs> you know, and of course I tell them like it, at this point in time, it doesn't even matter if you did anything wrong or not. Um, Cause what you're doing is buying the release <laughs> and, right. and I'll help them say in this particular instance, a thousand dollars is a good price to pay for that release <laughs> Absolutely. You know? or $10,000 is not don't pay 10 grand for that. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's the scare tactic, right? right. Uh, I need $10,000 and a lot of people are going to push back and say, okay, how about I just give you five? And so right. that's, that's probably right. what and you of course, see often. A lot of that could be negotiable. And, and I definitely can help people understand, um, you know, the value of the claims, which of course determines the value of the release. Right. Well, all great information. I just want to thank you so much, Catherine. You're just such a wealth of knowledge. Uh, you're on the ground every day, right there in the trench. Uh, so oh, yeah. you know what you're talking about. We yeah. always appreciate you uh, uh, being on here to, uh, to educate the Crest Insurance and all of our Fidelity National Home Warranty uh, uh, clients. So we appreciate your time very much. Absolutely a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And we'll meet uh, in the next couple of months and we'll uh, we'll talk about a little bit more about property management, correct? Yes, let's do that. There, There's a lot to talk about there. <laughs> All right, great. Well, for now, uh, thanks so much and uh, have a great day. You too. Thanks so much.